1: I am so excited about getting to have a conversation today with Andrew Peterson about the book of the Dun Cow, which is featured in my new book, The Scandal of Holiness. I think everyone has a copy of this by now that is talking with us. And we're gonna talk about creation care and how Walter Winger and Junior's book will help us love the earth better. So Andrew, could you introduce yourself to everyone in case they don't know who you are?
2: Of course, my name is Andrew and I am, married to Jamie for 27 years, and our kids are 19, 22 and 23 years old, and uh, two ba- two boys who are married now, which means I have two new daughters-in-law. Uh, and so that's that's my home life. I'm a singer-songwriter, and uh, I've written The Wing Feather Saga, which is a, uh, a fantasy series, and also two memoirs. And also uh, founded a ministry called the rabbit room about 15 years ago which exists to cultivate and curate story art and music to nourish christ-centered communities for the life of the world how's that yeah. for a mission that
1: yeah, is so fantastic well and i love that you started with your family because i think a lot of what we're talking about right now is kind of you know the the origin of place and community and how it branches out from there but how we don't reach out larger before we start smaller, really investing where we are. So thank you for your bio introducing, even with your community and your family there. So I know, you know, our author, I got to meet Walter one time. He signed a book for me years ago at the Calvin Festival of Faith and Writing. Mm -hmm. And he was able to give a talk. And I was immediately touched by how committed he was as an artist really to make Christ known through his work. Do you mind telling us just how you knew Walt and, and how you got involved with him?
2: Yeah. Um, so Jason gray, um, is a dear friend. He's a singer songwriter and Jason and I share a a love of books and a lot of the same writers. And, um, he, uh, bought, I think he bought me a copy of book of the Dun cow or he was aghast that I hadn't read it before. And my, my experience of Walt before that was my dad, who's a pastor. Uh, used to subscribe to the the Wittenberg door. I don't know if you remember that old magazine. Anyways, kind of this wry, funny Christian intellectual magazine. It was always stacked up in the bathroom. And uh anyway, on top of it was a book called Ragman and Other Cries for Faith uh, that my dad loved. And so I had read Ragman um, before and and in high school before I was really a Christian, I didn't really know what to do with it. Like it, but I was I remember even then being very surprised by Walt's voice, like, he has such an unmistakable writing voice um, that, like, within two sentences, you you know it's him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and anyway, that was my that was that. But so then later, twenty years later, when Jason Gray was like, "Have you read Book of the Dun Cow?" I was like, "Oh, he's that Ragman guy, right?" <laughs> so I read Book of the Dun Cow and was just flabbergasted by it. It was so. I mean, it's it was like a lot of things that I had read, but it was also very unlike anything that I had ever read before. Um, and I was like profoundly moved by it also profoundly creeped out by it. Like it was, Mm -hmm. it's one of the like most unsettling depictions of evil in any book that I've read before. Um, and I also recognized in Chanticleer, um, my father. (laughs) So, uh, my dad is a small town pastor. And I asked Walt about this later. I was like, did you mean for Chanticleer to be the pastor of a church in this book? Yeah. And I don't really remember his answer, but I think that's what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, he's got all these memoirs about Walt being the pastor. And there was something about Chanticleer's gruffness, mm-hmm. like his impatience, but also deeper than that, his deep love for his community, mm-hmm. uh, which I was like, oh man, I love this character. And I was like, oh, I think it's because it reminds me of my dad. Hopefully my dad won't watch this because he's can- <laughs> be impatient. What do you mean? Uh, but anyway, I, uh, I that was my experience of it. It was just this really interesting analogy between what was happening in the story and what's happening in a local church. So yeah. that was one one take on it. But that's also I don't I also experienced it as as a as pure fantasy and yeah. myth. Yeah. and it was amazing that way so that's the setup i i fell head over heels in love with welts writing mm-hmm. when i read that book and then i went on from there and read yeah. as much as i could get my hands on and then the rabbit room uh this was 15 years ago or so we were uh, planning our first hutch moot which is our rabbit room uh conference mm-hmm. and we had never done it before, but we wanted a keynote speaker that would kind of exemplify a lot of what we were we'd like to talk about, which is this uh, intersection of um, poetry, art, Mm -hmm. storytelling, and the ways the Holy spirit sometimes uses that to make himself known. Right. So, uh, so in, it's not like everybody we talk about is a, is, how do I put it? So it's like, there's the Lewises and the Tolkien's and those guys. Um, and in that he, Walt was like a living author in that writing in that same tradition.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and
2: he, we knew he lived right up the road. So we sent an email to his people and we're like, we would love to honor you. And, and uh, you've got a whole community of people who think you're awesome. Mm-hmm. You come and, speak? and he was our first keynote speaker and he blew our minds. Like he, uh, at that point had been diagnosed with cancer. And so he had his oxygen tank with him and, you know, the whole thing and uh, stood on stage kind of haggard in his breathing and delivered a talk that people are still talking about today, 15 years later about the power of poetry and, mm-hmm. and uh, the way artists who are Christians work. And, uh, and then he was our second keynote speaker and he came back another time for something else. And, in, and, through that relationship, uh we um the more we got to know each other and my brother who's the executive director of the rabbit room and also the publisher like he's the one who's Mm -hmm. edits a lot of the books um walt came to us came to nashville and he was like i have all these books sitting around that were never published uh and i want the rabbit room to be the publisher and so we were blown away by it and agreed to do it and so we we we've published three so far um Maybe four now. I can't remember, um, but he just really believed in what we were doing. I think he trusted my brother as a as an editor. My yeah. brother's a really good editor. He was terrified to edit.
0: <laughs> no
2: longer and but um, but every every writer needs one, and mm-hmm. so um, anyway, yeah, we just got to know each other through that, and and Pete was actually um, with him the week before he died. Oh wow, week. I didn't know that. Yeah, so we have an interview, video interview that we aired at Hutchmoot. Um, with walt and it's so moving so beautiful
1: yeah yeah because he ended well i mean i read the the phil yancey piece when i don't know if everyone knows that walter passed away last summer um but that was just such a beautiful tribute it seems like i mean he was the kind of person that really believed what he said he believed and you know there's a lot of christians out there especially once they become really well known that kind of forget that place and it seems like he just did never lose that which is cool
2: I had the huge honor a few years ago of opening for Walt and doing doing an in-the-round show with him. Yeah, We were both on the stage and Walt would read a story and then I got to answer the story with a couple songs. Oh, cool. I got to be on the stage with him uh, when he sang, uh, or when he read Ragman, which was that book that I had encountered, and uh, and then answer it with a song called All Things New, um, which was like one of the highlights of my whole career.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Brazos Press. Brazos Press publishes books that creatively draw upon the riches of the Christian story to deepen our understanding of God's world and inspire faithful reflection and engagement. A Brazos book that I would recommend is Reading Black Books, How African American Literature Can Make Our Faith More Whole and Just by Claude Acho. In the book, Acho demonstrates how black experience, as shown in the literature of great African American writers, can guide us towards sharper theological thinking and more faithful living. Get 40% off and free shipping at bakerbookhouse.com with code reading. That is fantastic. Well, I know I love that interplay, especially between, and he shows that even in the book of the Duncal, right? The interplay between the song and
2: mm-hmm.
0: the
1: poetry. Yeah. If, if you remember that, when, um, how do you say her name? Pertlote? Pertlote? I don't know if
2: it's Pertlote or, Yeah. I don't know.
1: He's, he's playing those words i think it's really the book is all about humility and i feel like it's a humiliation to try to say all the different names that
2: <laughs> so true.
1: um but Pertlo when she sings it's just so moving because it's right after the preaching and if it does relate to like what you said where it's a pastor mm-hmm. right and he gives this very fiery sermon and chanticleer is trying to move everyone to action and he's trying to be so persuasive and he's telling his testimony and then it's just crickets but then when she sings the exact same thing, everyone is moved to action.
0: Oh, it I love just,
1: that. just made me think of that interplay you're talking about there, where he would be speaking and you would be singing and everything comes to life with that synthesis.
2: Mm, that's beautiful. The two. Yeah. I will confess. I haven't read it since then. So 15 yeah. years ago, I've read the book and I've bought so many copies for people and like forced it down mm-hmm. their throat, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's been a while. I'd for- completely forgotten that scene.
1: Yeah, well, it's you know, for me, it was one of those books I hadn't read. Everyone tried to force me to read it too. Like they, I love visual aids, so I just keep picking it up. But everyone kept trying to get me to read it, and I remember seeing the play. the The Calvin oh. Festival did a play of it.
2: How did that and, work?
1: So they performed it. It was a round stage, so very chic, like Shakespeare set up, and everyone was performing in the middle. And the students had adapted the book, so they had you know done this. And I saw the play and I was so confused because it doesn't translate the same way.
0: Yeah, so much kind of,
1: of, you know, Walter's prose kind of explicates for you what the drama is supposed to mean. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, and without that, I just remember watching it being like, there's a rooster and there's a dog crying and there's a big worm. Like, I was so confused mm-hmm. that I never read the book. Uh, but then the minute I picked up the book and you're starting to read it, I'll just like read a passage so people get a sense of like why they have to read this. But like, in those days when the animals could both speak and understand speech, the world was round, the earth had a face, it was a holy place. I mean, it's like, it's such a different thing to read this book than just to see the plot, right?
2: I can't imagine that story without his voice in it.
1: So the book makes you feel like it's supposed to be a children's fable, like even the cover. hmm you're like, oh, it's about a cow and a rooster, um, but then when you read it, it like takes over. It's kind of like you, the way that you read The Hobbit, or the way that you read, you mentioned Lewis and Tolkien, Narnia,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then when you start digging deeper, there's so many other layers there.
2: Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's just this epic tone to the whole thing. Like you feel, you feel like you're reading myth. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like history in the way that Tolkien's books do, mm. and it it tilts closer to the Narnia thing where it feels like an an overtly Christian story in some ways, but like it, 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 what I love about it is that you kind of go into it like a child because Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh cool. Talking animals. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you meet worm and, and it is like, he does not hold back. Like, it's like Mm -hmm. the evil is the kind of evil that keeps you up at night Mm -hmm. and you've got this, little tiny rooster in his little tiny things up against this tidal wave of darkness. Yeah. And so it's, I read it to my kids uh, when, when they were little. That was what I loved about it. It was like it felt like it was a, a
0: children's story written for grownups.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith, and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu admit.
1: Well, and when I was, you know, walking through why he did this, it thankfully this edition has a foreword. I don't know if you've seen that.
2: Oh, no, I haven't read it.
1: Yeah, so he writes this what's well, it afterward. He writes it in the back and he even says, you know, I was trying to do something medieval, but I was also trying to do something like Tolkien and Lewis. And the more I looked at what Luke, Lewis and Tolkien were doing, I mean, they were trying to emulate Beatrix Potter.
2: Uh, you know, <laughs>
1: it was children's stories that had really captivated their imagination, which yeah. of course is, you know, what you're doing as well. Sure there's so much a, a role in how children's imaginations are formed. Why do you think this is kind of a bigger question that I didn't intend on asking, but it seems like we're going there. Why do you think that as parents, you know, you have several children, you have three children, right? I have three children. And why is it at parents, we are so concerned with forming our kids imagination, right? Like I was a bad parent I, I showed them Lord of the Rings that I do the same thing. And yet when we're older, we are less concerned with what's forming our imaginations, Mm. like even like as a church, as pastors, you just hear a lot less about making sure that people read good books and making sure that their imaginations are well formed. Like, where do you think that transition happens and why does that happen?
2: Man, I don't know. That is a great question. I think it's we're kind of in new territory because we've never uh, had access to as much television as we do now. Like even movies are coming out on on streaming services, you know, concurrently. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's weird to me when like uh, Ted Lasso or the office or whatever, get talked about by people and, and there are some really wonderful things in those shows, right? Mm-hmm. Really wonderful thing. There's also a lot of really crass stuff in those shows, mm-hmm. like really uh, imagination forming culture, forming things yeah. in those shows. Um, and so I'm always in this weird tension between like wanting to celebrate the good that I see in something and mm-hmm. also kind of wondering in the back of my mind uh, what's happening in in the hearts and minds of all the people watching this who aren't being discerning, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like like it or not, what we're consuming is shaping our imaginations. Yeah. Um, So I think it's a good question that I don't know the answer to. Um, But I think, you know, for start, for starters, um, uh, there's a there's a liturgy in every moment, holy, do you know, every Mm -hmm. moment, holy,
1: so it's one of the things I was going to tell you, did you know that Doug, I sent him the liturgy. So this book has it has pictures of saints, Uh huh? It also has liturgy in it that was really inspired by Doug. Oh, awesome! And he he helped me like he read through my liturgy just to make sure I was doing things right. Amazing,
2: amazing! Yeah. What an honor! Like yeah. he is just a a gift. And uh, yeah. when he was writing Every Moment Holy, uh, mm-hmm. for those of you at home, uh, it's a it's a book of liturgies for everyday moments. And so I knew he was working on the book, and my boys really wanted to watch Breaking Bad on Netflix, <laughs> and I had seen it. And they had heard me talk about the fact that it was like Shakespearean and it's in its amazingness. Like it, mm-hmm. it is the best television show I've ever seen. It's also very dark and it has some scenes that we skip. Right. Um, and so uh, my teenage sons were like, Hey, all our friends have watched it. You've watched it. Why can't we watch it? Mm-hmm. And I was, I didn't have a good answer. <laughs> I was kind of like, okay. So I, I emailed Doug and I was like, will you write a liturgy for the consuming of media? Um, and he wrote one. It's in. It's in every moment holy, and it is beautiful. It's this theologically profound prayer that just invites us to view what we view with discernment, um, to not stand in judgment over other people's taste, mm-hmm. right? To give them the freedom to remember that the things that convict me may not be the things that convict them, Mm -hmm. uh, to keep our eyes peeled for God's redemptive work. Mm -hmm. Also to not believe a lie just because it is beautifully told, Mm -hmm. but to have your like thinking cap on while you're consuming media. So he wrote it and I printed it out and I told my sons, uh, we will watch this show as long as we all pinky swear to read this liturgy every night before we watch it. And so we did, we have, Three copies sitting in the drawer in the living room that uh, my boys and I would read and we would invoke the aid of the Holy Spirit as mm-hmm. we viewed this thing. And mm-hmm. I think that's the answer. I think that's mm-hmm. like, it's it's not that you can't, you know, consume different things, but it, but we just, you have to do it intentionally and meaningfully, yeah. not just to protect your own imagination, but also so that you can get the most out of it.
1: Right, right. Like
2: you'll right. enjoy it a thousand times more if it's a really good work of art that is multi-layered, and you're able to enjoy it on
0: mm-hmm. an
2: intellectual level as well as a heart level and an entertainment level.
0: You yeah,
1: know? you know, in the and I don't know if you noticed this in the opening of the book. There's this section, and I promise I won't be able to find this right now, but where he explains his crows, right? Oh, there it is. He explains the crows, the liturgy.
0: So you have oh, yeah. Claire's
1: coop, right? Yeah. And he says there's, you know, there's crows for laughter, a whooping crow for joy, which made joy come alive. A soft, insinuating crow for shame, right? There's, there's liturgy being pronounced mm-hmm. over the coop as a way of keeping order, um, yeah. like kind of like the like Augustinian, like the order amoris, right? Like making sure we keep those loves ordered as we are being formed, so that they mm-hmm. have a have their right place, that they don't take over, they don't consume us.
2: Right. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I had completely forgotten about that too. Yeah. Which, which kind of underscores the whole idea that this is not just a church, but also kind of like a monastery, you know?
1: that's Well, so that's what I was, that's when you were talking about pastor, I was thinking a lot more like the monastery idea and not just in a Catholic sense, but that your days would be overwrought by liturgy, that your days would be immersed in scripture, that your days would be covered in song, that even you know in the medieval idea that you would be singing everything,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right?
1: Um, and and that's why there's so much in this book that's about like singing as a way of seeing, right? Mm. In you know being attuned to creation, yeah, you know, hearing what's already there, in some sense.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. great. That just reminded me. Was just talking to somebody about this but um hearing what's already there the uh <laughs> one of my favorite things that happened in the darkness of covid 2020 mm-hmm. uh was that one of the top google searches during lockdown was why are the birds so loud <laughs> <laughs> and I, I cannot say that without laughing because i just love the fact it was because <laughs> everybody was still yeah city he was quieter And their assumption was that the birds had gotten louder somehow because of this virus. And that's the thing is that creation is always Mm -hmm. declaring its maker's purpose. Yes. It's it's always happening. And uh, and I think there are times in our lives when we get quiet enough to to really hear it. And I think that's what you're getting at.
1: Well, and I think this is where I don't I'm not going to fight you on the media thing, because I do a lot more books than I do TV. But Uh, I think that when you're reading, you become more in tune with those things rather than even media consumption, right? Like even if media, you can even if you can read certain media at multiple layers, which I I know you can, and there's great films that do that. There's great shows that do that. Something is happening to a person when they're reading that kind of lets that noise and the good noises, right? Like the music come in. Yeah, I I,
2: um, if I didn't love a really great show so much, I would just read all the time but i really yeah like i the drama and and Mm -hmm. film and really good television is just a fascinating art form to me Mm -hmm. and uh and it yeah i still read mostly but um there there's really great stuff happening out there in that world i'm not convinced about video games yet friends of mine Mm -hmm. keep telling me that that epic video games are like the next kind of narrative and i just don't buy it but i'm with you wendell berry said something about how you should avoid screens and Avoid anything that obscures the place that it is in.
1: Yes, yes, that makes you more Gnostic, uh, unintentionally even, right? Just the, the form of it does. Uh-huh. One more thought I had that kind of talks about your work a little bit more than I probably intended to, but in the same way that you said you wanted a living author that was a lot like Lewis and Tolkien, but kind of stepped into the space. I thought of years ago, Randy Boyagoda, who's a contemporary novelist, Catholic writer, and he said, I'm sick of Flannery O'Connor. And what he meant was, it's just, there's there's got to be somebody else now. And I love Flannery. right? I think I actually have a like Flannery O'Connor shirt underneath my sweater right now. Um, I love Flannery, but at the same time, what are those living authors? And I... I don't know if they are being formed the same way or not. It seems like what you're doing is you're really trying to find them and kind of join their voices. You know, the right response for the church is to not just live nostalgically in the past, but learn from those past writers and then and then pass them on. Right.
2: Totally. Yeah. And I think I think the uh, I-, I remember going to a C.S. Lewis conference in Nashville like 15, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and I'd never been anything like that before, and and uh, I was so turned off by the end of it. Uh, because I think it was Lewis and Tolkien. And mm-hmm. it was like every essay that had been written was some like hyper-academic essay about, you know, Numenor and the elves and the whatever and Tolkien's use of language and Lewis's whatever. And I just was like, man, if 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 you guys spent half the time writing about their books um, and instead were writing your own.
1: Yes, yeah.
2: Like like those guys would be like, stop talking about us, you know? <laughs> that said, like I do, I'm not bashing it because I I kind of still love listening to people talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. But in the rabbit room where there's this very forward-looking thing. I love like, it. Man, we we see what these guys are doing. The Lord is raising up more Tolkien's and Lewis's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and not just the church, but the culture at large. We need good storytellers. Eugene mm-hmm. Peterson talked about yeah. how he thinks that um the church should be ordaining writers, you know? like we should be like taking writing and storytelling so seriously that the church is calling people to it specifically. So one, one last thing I would say, I, I, I love Tim Keller. Um, I don't know if you read the, uh, David Brooks article that came out a couple of weeks ago, kind of about evangelicalism in America and the divide that's happening and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he interviewed all these great people, Karen Swallow prior and all the, all the right people were being interviewed. And, um, he, uh, asked Tim Keller what, what we should be doing to engage the culture at this point. And mm-hmm. Tim listed this great list of things, you know, kind of programmatic things about academics and
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, for public forums, that kind of thing. And uh and I remember reading it and being like uh and and again, I'm not throwing shade because I think he's great. But mm-hmm. there was no mention of the arts.
0: Yeah.
2: It was all academics. And I was kind of like, what about the storytellers and the painters and the poets? Yes. Like yeah. like really th- th- that is doing a quiet work in the culture in a really beautiful way. Um, and, and that's not to say that academics don't matter, they really right. do, um, but all, but not to the exclusion of the arts. I, I'm just kind of defensive of it. <laughs> no,
1: I think, well, and I think that's a great place for us to in the conversation on, because I think that that's exactly why I would really recommend Walter's work is that he is picking up that legacy and he's also inviting people then to respond by telling their own stories, by reading their own lives to see what story is at work And I'm hoping that that's where my book steps into a gap, that it's not academic, but it's really a teaching guide that says, go read this, go read this, go read this. Oh, that's great. So I hope.
2: I'm so excited Um, about that book. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Congrats on that. It's Um, good. Have you read a book called um, The Borderlands by Roger Lloyd?
1: No, I'll write it down.
2: Okay, write it down. It's hard to find. I think it's out of print. Okay. Um, I was just at a C.S. Lewis conference last week after I just bashed <laughs> C.S. Lewis conferences. Um, I'm not really bashing C.S. Lewis conferences for anybody out there. Uh, but Dan DeWitt is is at Cedarville University in Ohio, and um, he does a lot of apologetics work. He's he's great. And uh, okay. invited me and a few other people up to do this conference on the imagination and stuff. And uh, he gave me the, a copy of this little skinny book called The Borderlands. Um, oh, here it is. Awesome. I love show and tell. Wayne. Okay, yeah. And uh, it's this, it's just this thing. But man, he mentions it's an exploration of theology and English literature. So he talks. Flann- I don't know if he mentions Flannery, but he talks Chesterton and Dorothy hmm. Sayers. He just names all the right people. He was a contemporary of Lewis. He's an Anglican scholar. Okay. From and uh, border, he uses the phrase "borderland" as as a way of describing the writers that mm-hmm. straddle. Theology and literature. Yeah. And I was like, that's Walt Wongren. Yeah. He was a pastor. He had like practical experience
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: shepherding churches. He was this brilliant theologian, but he also really valued literature and and storytelling. So he was a student of all of these things. And that's such a rare animal, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that the Lewises and the Dorothy Sayers and George McDonald's and the Chestersons had in yes. common. Was they weren't just academics; they were also novelists. Yes. And there's something about the synergy of those things together that gives them kind of like an extra superpower, you know? Yeah. That, or at least in in what speaks to me, like that's the stuff right. that really uh, that that gets to my heart is is not just theology, but theology and story.
1: Yes, me too. Well, it's very convicting because my my daughter says I don't count as a writer until I write my first novel.
2: Ooh yeah. Oh. Do it listen to your daughter. You count as a writer, but you should, (laughs) I I really do. I have this, this is a soapbox of mine, but like, I I, I've been joking that I wish Tim Keller would write a fantasy novel or a, or a, or a murder mystery. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, because not only would I love to read like N.T. Wright's murder mystery, Mm -hmm. but I would love to read N.T. Wright's book of theology after he has written a murder mystery, Mm -hmm. because I guarantee the writing of a, a narrative will inform and refine his theology.
1: Yeah, yeah, really it, did, it did for Augustine. I mean, it wasn't until he wrote Confessions that he could finish De Doctrina Christiana.
2: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so it was after he went through the process of thinking about his experience of faith and learning that he could go back and say, okay, well, this is how you learn and this is oh, how you to teach then.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. So Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was well, great to talk to you.
1: Thank you, I really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Absolutely. I'll make sure Good you get success. a
1: copy of the book later.
0: I can't wait. Okay, bye.